You can turn to Luke 11. As we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke. Those of you who are paying close attention, notice that I skipped a passage from last week, and we'll come back and get it next week. June and I went up to the Truth and Love Conference Friday night and yesterday morning. Friday night, we heard a powerful conference sermon. Uh, There's a lot to learn when you go to conferences. Some of the uh, preachers are gathered from around the country all in one place. And and then the congregation is uh, made up of like-minded people to those speakers. Uh, And so it is a a different kind of setting than being in church on every Sunday morning. Often uh, we're, uh, the, the conference speakers are called to assess the culture. And uh, when we like-minded together are, not, are seeking to live contrary to the culture, we hear these messages about the churches out there and uh, the poor old churches whose pastors aren't preaching well, and the churches don't want to hear the Word of God. And it's easy to get very, very excited and amen. You know, I mean, those old people, it's, it's sad for them. Um, didn't apply to most as the, the, as the speakers were speaking about the degradation of the gospel and things like that. Um, Not so much about our church here, but the message that one of the messages on Friday night, it was so much about your preacher here. Uh, I was charged on Friday night to, uh, to preach the word in season and out of season. I was reminded that when I stand right here, I'm in the presence of God's people. I'm in the presence of some who aren't, but I'm also in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. I'll give an account one day to the Holy Trinity as I stand before God for what I say those many times, you'll give an account for how it is that you live your life. Teachers will give an account for how they've taught the Word. And I was encouraged and charged to fulfill my ministry, which each of us have a calling, each of us have a ministry, but to fulfill my ministry, to prepare first myself and then prepare you 
for eternity. That's what we're doing here. I read a, a story about uh, Helmut Thielicke, German theologian, preaching in Stuttgart, Germany in the last days, the last, the death throes of the Third Reich and the uh, whole Nazi regime was about to fall. And he was preaching, he preached, this is 1944, Stuttgart was being bombed by the Allies mercilessly, although they had a hard time hitting the targets they were after. They were dropping bombs after bomb on them. And during that time in 44, he was preaching a series on the Lord's Prayer. He said, on more than one occasion, the shriek of the, the, the air raid sirens interrupted his messages. He said at times he felt utterly stricken with fear. He said, my work in Stuttgart seemed to have gone to pieces and my listeners were scattered to the four winds and the churches lay in rubble and ashes. When he was preaching his message on the kingdom of God, he told a story about an encounter with a woman in his congregation on the streets of Stuttgart. They were standing before a building that was completely wiped out by a bomb, looking down into uh, the cellar of this building. All that was left of the building was the cellar and the rubble uh, down there. Uh, said, my husband died down there. When the cleanup crew came, they couldn't find a trace of him except his little hat. Tilaki says, what does the pastor say to that? Sorry, didn't quite seem appropriate, he said. But the lady was not coming for sympathy. She said, we were, here the, we were there the last time you preached in the cathedral church, and here before this pit, I want to thank you for preparing him for eternity. We don't know when we'll be in eternity. That's sort of what preaching is, preparing others for eternity, taking our stand, teaching that, sharing the gospel. We're standing before the pit uh, of the world, helping people to know that there's an eternity for them coming and to prepare them. You know, we're coming to the gospel. I don't know how you feel about going through the gospel. Luke will take, uh, like I say, you know, the way Corey and I are preaching a couple of years as Genesis has taken that long. And um, there may be, you may be thinking you're tired of the gospel. Uh, Maybe, uh, you know, we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. How many times have you heard someone teach on the Lord's Prayer? That's why we sing, come thou fount of every blessing. Next week, we're going to sing, all I have is Christ. All glory, laud, and honor goes to him. Shame on me if I bore you with the gospel. Shame on you 
if the gospel is boring to you. And greater shame, greater than shame, condemnation will come if you don't repent of being bored by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You aren't ready for eternity if the gospel is boring to you. Though feeble it may be, Colossians 1, 28 and 29, him will proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I was reminded Friday night, I don't toil very hard. I was reminded of my calling. And may we all be a little more prepared for eternity uh, by 11.15 or so. Look at chapter 11, verse 1 in Luke's gospel. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him, and he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's the Lord's answer to the disciple who asked, teach us to pray. Let's pray before we look into this a little closer. Our Father, we come to you together, your people privileged to call you Father. 
Lord, we pray, hallowed be your name, that your name might be revered. And though your kingdom has come in some fashion, Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come in its fullness. As we've sung about anticipating our entrance into glory, whether it be through death or the return of Jesus, our Savior. Lord, we thank you for your provision. Give us this day, each day, our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. As Craig led us in a prayer of confession. And we thank you for the provision of forgiveness. Through Christ Jesus alone. Lord, we are prone to wonder. We feel that. So lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Father, we do pray for ourselves. We pray for our church. We pray for each individual. I pray for every person here this morning. To realize it matters each day what we do. It matters each uh, day what we say. What we think that leads us to action. Lord, we pray that you would make us hungry for your word. We pray, Father, for the gospel to go forth around the world this morning. Whether it be where they're gathered in spring at the conference, whether it be in churches in our area, Lord, we think about the Housleys in Papua New Guinea as they not only have planted churches throughout the tribal villages, but also are now educating the children of the tribal people. And they've been at it for a long time. We thank you that you have sustained them, that you have kept them, Lord, we pray for their daughters and families here in the States. Be with us, we pray. Teach us, Father, this morning. Illumine these truths, these words that we see on a page, living words. Make them alive and illumined by your Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.
So if you have an ESV, you have a title there at the top of uh, verse 1. It may be in all versions. This is the Lord's Prayer. I think it's better, uh, you know, a disciple's prayer. This is the prayer for the disciples of the Lord Jesus, a model prayer. Uh, The Lord's Prayer, we would turn to John 17 and see his high priestly prayer just before he is arrested in the the garden and then uh, sent to the cross. And just that is a comment, but also he doesn't really say pray this, although it's okay to recite this or to pray through this Lord's Prayer, but he says pray like this. Here's a model. Here's a, a prayer that has the elements of what it is that you ought to be praying for. This is a little bit of an abbreviated version to what we might find in Matthew 6 uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, But this is just a model. This is an example of how it is that we might pray. Lord, teach us to pray, this disciple said. As John taught his disciples, I tried to find a place where we have recorded in Scripture that John taught his disciples to pray. I couldn't find it. I did find that they, John's disciples fasted and prayed, but we have recorded, as the Holy Spirit is inspired, we have recorded that John taught his disciples to pray, and now Jesus teach us in the same way. Uh, this made me think, One, Jesus' practice of prayer. Notice verse 1, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples came to him, teach us to do that, teach us to pray. So this question, or it's not really framed in a a question, but Jesus' practice of prayer uh, incites this uh, scene that we have right here, and Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray. We should be thankful for this disciple. How many times have you been sitting in a class or a ser- listening to a sermon, well, not often in sermons, but in a class, and the teacher says, any questions, and there's nothing, and then all of a sudden, someone finally raises their hand and asks a question. You say, oh, thank you. I had the very same question. I just didn't want to ask it. We ought to be thankful for this disciple who comes to Jesus and says, Lord, teach us to pray. So now we have this teaching on the prayer. No, Jesus didn't just uh, set out to teach them how to pray. It was kind of an organic rising up naturally. He waited until he was asked, and the Lord often does that. Uh, Waits for us to feel our need before he lays out for his disciples in particular how Uh, before he lays out his teaching on a particular subject. You go back to Genesis, all the way back to Genesis. This is how the Lord often works. Um, Adam is by himself in the garden. I don't know if the Lord told him, but we have recorded that the Lord says, I will make him a helper fit for him. The next verse, God creates all of the animals. The next verse Adam names all the animals. Here they come. Names them all. Gives them all a name. And the last phrase on verse 22 of uh, Genesis chapter 2, or verse 20, I'm sorry. 
There was no helper fit for him. So the Lord says, I need, it's not good Adam's alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. Here come all the animals. He's named them all, but there's not a helper fit for him. Then God puts him to sleep, pulls his rib out, fashions a woman. She comes and Adam says, this at last is bone of my bones. Adam appreciated the woman as he's gone through all of this, waiting for some helper fit for his need. That's the way the Lord works at times. And so this uh, disciple comes, asks Jesus to teach him how to pray. And Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. You, there's a privilege there. Uh, our prayer, our uh, approach to God, the privilege that we have in praying to our God is based on a relationship within a family. Jesus is the reason. He's the source of our relationship with God. Uh, we saw a couple of weeks ago in chapter 10, uh, verse 22, uh, where Jesus says, No one knows who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone who the, fa- who the Son chooses to reveal. The only reason you know and can call him Father is the Lord Jesus has chosen to reveal himself, the fa- to reveal the Father uh, to you. This is a prayer only for Christians, only for disciples. Those in the family of God have a relationship with God, the Father, as our Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, those to whom the Son has made the Father known. There's a wonder in salvation. And don't lose the sense of your privilege of approaching a holy God. It's for all disciples. Our Father is the Matthew uh, introduction. Our Father, all of us, not just particular ones. We're all in this family together. The cultural tent, we'll talk about the culture just for a second, to remove this picture of our great God and Father. Our Father is our protector. Our Father is our provider. Our Father, we have this intimate, it's a note of intimacy. Uh, when Jesus is on the cross, Abba, uh, not on the cross, but in the garden before the cross, Abba, Father, let this cup pass, if possible. Nevertheless, your will be done. Father, this uh, intimate relationship, we... we often say father is a, a word like daddy for the children, how the children relate to their dad, but the Lord Jesus spoke, Abba, father. It's a family word. It's a, 
the, The point is grown children use it. Everyone in a family will uh, 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 endearingly look to the father as their provider, as their sustainer. The Jews didn't call God Father. The Lord Jesus here gives us a freedom, a new freedom in prayer to approach God as our heavenly Father. And he begins with the first uh, petition, hallowed be your name. Um, Holy be your name. May your name be considered are regarded and treated as sacred with respect, with reverence, with adoration. It's kind of an abstract idea, hallowed be your name. For me, it is kind of an abstract idea. Uh, If you want to, you can stick your finger here and go to Ezekiel 36. I'd like to illustrate uh, this idea of hallowed. Tell you of uh, the anonym, the opposite of hallowed is profane. So in Ezekiel 36, Israel has defiled the land. Israel has sinned. Ezekiel is preaching from the banks of the river in Babylon. In Ezekiel 36, verse 16, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, this is Ezekiel, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations. They were dispersed through the countries in accordance with their ways and their deeds. I judged them. So Israel defiled the land and were scattered. The northern kingdom is long gone, 150 years or so before, and dispersed throughout the the Mesopotamian Valley. Now the southern kingdom is in captivity there in Babylon. Verse 20. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. In that people said, in that people said of them, they are the people of the Lord, yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. So they're judged, they're sent into exile. The people of the nations where these Jews, these Israelites had come, began to ask questions, what kind of a God is this that they serve? He's not able to protect his people. He's not able to defend his people. It must be less than a, a, a powerful God. In a sense, it's a PR disaster. You know, the, uh, uh, God's reputation has taken a hit among the peoples. He had to judge his people, but then that made the people think less of God. 
Verse 22, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I'm about to reverse this situation, God says. I'm going to restore you to your homeland, not because of you, but for the sake of my name. I'm about to show how holy I am, how holy my name is. You profaned it, I will make my name hallowed. In verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you to your own land and you'll dwell in that land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from your uncleannesses. Verse 29, then verse 33, thus says the Lord God, on that day I will cleanse you from all your iniquities. I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt, and the land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know, I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord, I have spoken it, and I will do it. And then God goes on and says, I'll purify your hearts. I'll give you a new disposition, a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you. And you will remember your evil ways. You will now, you will get a new perspective over your sin. You will realize the gravity, how sinful sin really is. So the Lord's name was not hallowed in Israel. You can go back to Luke 11. The Lord's name was not hallowed. It was profaned. And then the people profaned his name. And so God determined to make his name hallowed again. So here in this request, God will show that how holy his name is before Israel. But the prayer here is, hallowed be your name. Lord, may your name be considered holy because of us and among us. Help us to show your holiness in our, how we live. Not just uh, what we do. It's more than just what we say. It's not less than that. Does it bother you when you hear uh, God's name just tossed around irreverently? We can't expect any more from the world, right? There's no fear of God before their eyes. Is depravity of the unsaved people is 
summarized with in Romans chapter 3. There's no fear of God before their eyes. They're blind to God's glory. They're blind to the kingdom of, of God. Uh, we have an opportunity when we're, if we take it, to help people see and know that God will hallow his name. They will be held accountable for how it is that they use his name. But what about us? Do we show the world we fear God? We honor God? Do we talk as if we revere his name? You know, it's so easy just to type in OMG. Uh, or my God in a empty and profane sense. Leslie Smith, my friend, our friend from England, he called me down one day. I said, "My gosh!" And he said, "You've just sanitized using God's name in vain." You've just substituted a clean word when the thought is essentially the same. If we do it regularly, if we profane God's name regularly, if we use it flippantly in our language, it it could be a clue to what's inside because it's not what goes in defiles us, right? It's what comes out. And what comes out exposes our hearts and our minds. Do you claim Christ and yet casually uh, toss out his name? May not be too important to you or other people, but it's important to the Lord Jesus Christ as he puts it as the first thing he says about how to pray. Hallowed be your name among your people. Your kingdom come. The prayer that he'll bring his final consummation of his kingdom. You know, of course, we've talked about there's a sense in which the kingdom has already come. Luke 17. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, not, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Two weeks from now, we'll talk about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, if I cast out demons in the power of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God has come upon you. There's a sense in which the kingdom of God has already come in the presence and in the work of Jesus Christ. But this, there's a twofold uh, request here, I think, in that may your kingdom that has come be obvious in me. Is Christ 
reigning today. Yes, at the right hand of the Father in a glorified body, right? But is he reigning in your heart today? May God's reign on earth be evident in his people. It's a prayer for a love and a hunger and a thirst for the kingdom of God. We've been given a king, the Lord Jesus. The world is blind to him as king. We need to pray that blind eyes will be opened and then pray to be used by God as his instrument to help people see and know that Jesus is king. So, this request, may your kingdom that has come be obvious in us and in the world, but also may it come in its fullness in all of its power and glory. A heartfelt desire in our prayers for the Lord Jesus to return. Uh, I remember James Boyce, James Montgomery Boyce, talking about the uh, uh, end times, and he says there's the last days. You know, Hebrews 1 says the last days are here because they began when Jesus came. And he said, but there's also some last, last days, you know, as it intensifies and gets closer. And then he says, and there's the last, last day, last, last, last day. That's what this prayer is about. Your kingdom come on that last, last, last day. Come, Lord Jesus. When John is closing the Revelation, the book of Revelation, and he's contemplating and considering the last things, and Jesus promises, surely I am coming soon. John's immediate response is, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. So the priority of God and his purposes come first in Jesus' model prayer. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Secure for all of our um, self-absorbed desires and interests. You know, the the world before us, and sometimes even, it's unthinkable to think of others and the God before ourselves, you know. We get selfish ourselves. But Jesus teaches his disciples to live and think. Otherwise, not about ourselves at least first, but think about him first. And then, of course, we can go to Uh, the great commandment, and others also love others as we love ourselves. But he doesn't tell us to completely forget about ourselves. He gives us these personal petitions here in prayer, beginning in verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread. He encourages us to pray for provision. We're totally dependent on him, right? I mean, each day, he says, give us each day our daily bread. Give us bread for tomorrow. Food in general, yes. I don't remember last week or week before, we talked about full fridges and full pantries. And 
this sense, how do we keep this sense of each day? Give us our daily bread. Well, let's just think a little bit about that. Who put us in a place with economy that produces so much? I was, uh, at, we were at the mall right before Christmas. I don't know, uh, there had to be three parking places empty. What, may, what I, my thought was, how many gallons of gasoline are sitting in cars in this one parking lot? And how many barrels of crude oil did it take to make that gasoline? God has abundantly provided for us. We haven't had, we've had some cold weather this winter, but we haven't lost our electricity, have we? The Cuba trip is not going uh, in March because there's not electricity to give the people electricity every day, and so you don't know when you're going to get electricity or not. So we've, the Cuba trip has been post, put off. Who put you here? God. In your, all of our abundance, we're here. Uh, who gave you your job to pay for whatever it is that's on the shelves and in the pumps and everywhere else? Even if we have more than enough, we're totally dependent upon God day by day for everything we have. Uh, As they gathered the man in the wilderness, Exodus 16, morning by morning they gathered it. It's still the same principle today uh, that applies to us. God abundantly provides. He provides much more than food. He provides much more than our gasoline, he provides for every need according to his riches in Christ Jesus in glory. Even though we rebelled against him, even though we broke his law, even though we've uh, asserted our will over his will, we can still approach him. And the only way we can is if he provides for us a righteousness that we don't have. A righteousness that we can never accomplish or reach. He's given us, provided us a son. Through faith in Christ, he's declared us just and right. And then he invites us. Come. Come to me with your requests. Come to me with your concerns. We need to acknowledge our dependence and ask him to continue to provide. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We're to pray for his pardon because we're guilty. There's an assumption built in here. The assumption is... God's disciples need forgiveness. The disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ have, are sinners and they need forgiveness on a regular basis. The Christian life is one of continual repentance. <laughs> Forgive us our sins for we ourselves are forgiving everyone who is indebted 
to us. You know, you can think about this in a way. Well, okay, since I'm forgiving, then God will forgive me or needs to forgive me or uh, I don't deserve to be forgiven even if I'm forgiving others, right? That's not what he's saying here. We're praying in such a way that we're saying, we come to you, Father, not as hypocritical sinners. We're not asking you to give us what we're withholding from others. Do you dare say that to God? We ourselves are forgiving or forgive everyone who is indebted to us. You telling the truth? Or as is shaped in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us as we forgive others. In the same way that we're forgiving others, forgive us that way, Father. So we pray for his pardon because we're guilty. And that way we'll never run out of things to pray about. There's always plenty to mourn over and to pray for. And then lead us not into temptation. We're praying for God's protection because we're prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Uh, We recognize our weaknesses. We pray for few situations where we might prove our weaknesses. Lord, lead us not into temptation where we might turn away from you, where we might deny you. There's a sense in which this request is driven by fear. Fear of the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one in Matthew 6, but also to deliver us from ourselves, the weak ones. We're aware of our tendency, so we call out to our protector, knowing he'll never entice us to sin. He'll never lay a trap for us to see if we're going to take the bait. He doesn't do that. He calls us to flee from sin. So we pray and we ask him not to allow us to be exposed by the wiles of the devil. The devil who goes about roaring as a lion, seeking to devour us. As God's people, he cannot destroy us. But he can entice us to fall. Lord, don't let us be subjected to the type of faithfulness you subjected Job to. But put a hedge around us. Protect us from the world and the flesh and the devil, from ourselves, our own evil inclinations. This is a constant prayer. Um, we often consider ourselves stronger than we really are on our own and forget that he's the source of any spiritual resistance we have. So all glory, Lord, and honor belong to 
him and to the Lamb. So the Lord Jesus, he gives us a model, he assures us, if we use this as a model, we can be sure that we aren't asking for anything out of line or anything improper. We're asking for the things he taught us to ask for. He's good and kind, and he lets us know what he wants to hear from us. And again, there's this wonder. On the one hand, we're sinners needing forgiveness. On the other hand, we're implored to boldly come before him because of Jesus. Uh, I saw a hymn I've never seen before. Ran across it this week. The second verse begins, Too vile to venture near the throne, too poor to turn away. Depending on thy help alone, Lord, teach us to pray. We are a desperate and a needy people. And then Jesus gives two parables or two short stories to uh, encourage uh, persistence in prayer, to encourage uh, perseverance in prayer. The first one there in verse 5, and it's important to notice verse 5, 6, and 7 are one question. It's not a question and a reply or a question and a comment. He said to them, which of you has a friend? Okay. Do you have this kind of a friend? Who will go to him at midnight? Which of you has a friend? Will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So you see, the question is not you're, at mi- you're there at midnight and your friend says no. He says, how many of you have a friend like this? You're going to be in desperate need. Someone shows up at your door. You don't have anything. You don't know what to do. Hospitality is a big deal. Which of you have a friend that will say, nah, don't bother me now? That's the question there. Any of you have friends like this? Imagine. Um, I'm sleepy. We're already, uh, you know, I'm I'm watching a ball game. Uh, uh, Just that's inconvenient. Come back later. Stop bothering me. You have friends like that? Imagine, Jesus seems to be saying, Verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, there's a problem with that passage. I've always had a problem with that passage. It seems to me Jesus is saying, look, if you will just persist long enough, You'll wear down that man inside and he'll finally, to get you out of his hair, give you what you're asking for. Is that that a proper picture of God? 
that we can wear him down with our persistence? I don't think so. I don't think so. He says he may not get up because he's a friend, but because of his impudence, impudence or persistence, depending on your version. I think New American has one. The ES, the ESV says because of your impudence. It's New American will say uh, something else, uh, not impudence, uh, but persistence. And notice one in the story, what's not said is this person is hammering at the door and insisting. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, I'm going to say also, it doesn't say the person is worn down and gives in. The the better thought for us might be because of his audacity, because of his shamelessness, the man inside is moved by his shamelessness or his audacity, the audacity to come at midnight and plead for help. And it seems the best, uh, you know, we don't have an explanation of this parable. But Jesus is encouraging his disciples to bring every need to the Father. Bring every need to your heavenly Father. Don't let, no shame or hesitancy need hold us back as we come before him. If we ask outside the boundary of proper prayer and requests, we can be sure God will answer according to our request. And there'll be no repercussions on our shameless asking, but we come to him nevertheless and not your will, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, answer this according to your purpose and will for me, but... Jesus says, have the audacity to let your request be made known to God. Come before Him with what you need. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. James says you don't have because you don't ask. Make your request be made known to God, Paul says. He knows before we ask what we really need, our requests don't inform God of anything, but our asking is for our benefit. We pour our hearts out to Him in communion with Him and admit our utter dependence upon Him. We won't wear God down to the point that He's going to give us what we ask no matter what. Because... He's not going to give us something that's detrimental to us. He's our loving Heavenly Father. Don't be reluctant to persist. God's willing to be disturbed, if you will. He's your friend. 
at midnight, when the dark hours come, and he'll protect you in how he answers. And just, I'm sure you've heard sermons of, well, I'm not sure. I've heard sermons where seeking and knocking are talking about, this is an evangelistic passage. But this is about Christians. This is about disciples seeking God's provision. This is knocking on the door at midnight, coming to God uh, uh, with our requests. Because when someone's not saved, they're not going to seek God. No one seeks after God until the Lord opens their heart and mind to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not Revelation 3.20. Jesus is standing at the door knocking on your heart. Please let me come in and save you. That's not what this passage is about. That's not what Revelation 3.20 is about. He's knocking on the door of the church to be a part of the life of the church. And when he says here, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, he's encouraging us to come to God with our concerns and our requests. And he will always answer according to his purpose and in his good time. And what... with what it is that he knows we need. It's hard to sort out our needs sometimes. We're encouraged to know what we need and what we don't need. Sometimes we don't know and we get confused and so we ask and we plead. And by his grace, he says, you do not need that. I will not give you what you're asking for in this situation. It would be detrimental to you. That's the kind of father that we have. And then the last little story, uh, he, uh, in everyone, uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, what father among you, parable of a loving heavenly father, no father would ever do things like if they ask for an egg, give them a scorpion. Uh, if they ask for a fish, give a serpent. And if you then, who are evil, he says, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you? You can rely on him. Notice also, it's not what, what, he, what he said. How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those? There's your primary or your principal gift to be asking for the Holy Spirit of God to direct and Lead you, not, not asking the Holy Spirit to come in like he did at Pentecost. Once you're saved, he's there, he's indwelling. But there's asking for his fullness, his filling in greater measure to discern uh, in puzzling situations the right path. For the strength to carry on in patient endurance, the strength of the Spirit For words to redeem moments of tension and moments of uh, conflict. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself 
or what you should say. The Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You ever get stumped about what to say? A response? You're talking to someone and say, man, I, want, I need to... Help me, Spirit. Father, uh, give me that fullness of the Spirit that I might know how to answer. Your Father will do good do you good in all things. If we ask for fish or eggs, God won't give us the snakes and the scorpions. We can pray confidently without assuming that he's tired of our interruptions, that our requests are trivial. I know you have other people who have more concerns. He won't reply, the door's locked. He's willing to hear and he's trustworthy to answer for our good and for his glory. So Lord, teach us to pray. And he says to us, pray like this. 1 John five fourteen, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he, we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. May we be those who hallow God's name. Those in whom the kingdom becomes evident. The reign of Christ becomes evident. Depending upon God to provide our every need, Forgiving others and asking forgiveness for ourselves and asking the Lord to protect us from the evil one. That's what Jesus teaches us to pray. May we be faithful disciples. In his name we pray. Lord, We become confident in ourselves. We know you're with us. And we often press on asking you to bless what we're doing. Father, I thank you for this disciple who said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I thank you that you have given us through your word, through the ministry of our Lord Jesus here on earth, how to pray. To bring glory to your name. And for our own benefit, to know you more. Help us to be prepared for the last day in whose name we pray. Amen. The benediction is from Psalm 29, 11. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Amen. Right? Amen? Amen.